everybody to the extended cut. Long time no. podcaster. It's been a while. Ross Kellis. Yes, it is me and on my own birthday. Happy birthday, Ross Kellis. Happy birthday. 22 years old. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, a little little higher than that. A little higher than that. 35 years old. Yes. Looking good, dude. Thank you. Hip, cool. Man. Great haircut. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah, you have more just more cut than hair. More cut than hair. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to divvy it up that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It might happen to you, my man. It might happen to you. Yeah, that's, that's good. True. Well, happy birthday. It's good stuff. Glad you're on. I didn't didn't even know it was going to be your birthday when I asked you to do this. So Yeah. It's like a double bonus. Yeah, I love it. It's good. Is it odd or is it God? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got our first Ross-ism right off the bat. That's good. Ross, uh, you're in Irmo now. You used to be in Saluda. You helped us get that church plant off the ground. It's blowing and going, handing it over to Trey Sheely. That's fantastic. Irmo... Last time we were on here, you were just getting started, begging for volunteers, telling people you were going public on Sunday morning. Tell us how it's going. Man, it's been great. You know, we did this public launch on the 12th, and John challenged the church. If you're living in, you know, if you're living in Irmo and going to Lexington, then why don't you go check out uh, Radius Irmo? And so, you know, a lot of those people have been coming. I've actually um, personally called a lot of people with addresses in our system that have, you know, that are living in Irmo or Chapin and going yeah. to race. I've called them on the phone, talked to them, and they've responded so well. Good. so cool about it. It is good. Yeah, they've, they've been forgiving for for this random guy calling them. <laughs> hey, I'm the pastor of Radius Irmo. <laughs> you know, we'd love to have you out. But, no, we've we've got a theater that holds about 100 people, and we've uh, we don't have much room in there. Yeah. How many did you have Sunday? Uh, with adults and kids, we had zero room. Um, but we had, oh, like 115 or something. Wow. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Good. So already busting at the seams there at the movie theater. Yeah. Um, so now we're just trying to figure out what the next step is Two services. Is there another place? Yeah, exactly. We just moved into there and now we're trying to figure out, well, are we going to grow more? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And so, and we want to grow more. So I told the church we need to get to standing room only. Yeah. You know, let's just keep pushing. Get to standing room only. Why not? It's great. And then we'll have to find some other solution. Hey, man, you drive up to a restaurant, and when every parking spot is full and there's a line out the door, my response is, this is a place you want to eat. Yeah. This is where you want to be. Yeah. And uh, you go up to a church, and nobody's in the parking lot, and only see a handful of folks walking in the door. You're thinking... This could be a bad start. Yeah, this could be. So, man, I think people finding out you guys are there, standing room only. Yeah. Man, build on that momentum and excitement. It's great. I'm excited. I love church planting. love to see churches uh, grow and get off the ground and get established. So we're praying that, that the Lord will, will finish what he started. That's good, man. That's exciting. Well, we'll be praying for you. I know uh, trying to answer questions of multiple services or another another building or whatever. Uh, I was thinking about church in Austin, Gateway Church. Um, great pastor there who, when they got started, just had to overcome some of the same obstacles you're overcoming. They went from movie theater to movie theater for different reasons. And when church plants typically move from location to location to location, I think they had like seven different locations in their first five years. Oh, man. It was 
crazy, but this ends up being, turns out to be one of the um, coolest churches in Austin. Uh, just a great place for people. A ton of people have heard the gospel there. Mm. And so now they're they're set up where they are in that, in that kind of North Austin area and uh, doing a good work. So don't be discouraged. Keep it up. Mm. It's going to be good. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk some Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. Uh, you mean the Bible character? Yes, the Bible character, the one in the Old Testament, not the one in the New Testament. Okay. Not a whole lot to write. Not a whole lot to preach on from the New Testament. Yeah, guy. Joseph's uh, or you know the. There's only one sermon out of the Joseph in the New Testament. That's right. Yeah, the stepdad of Jesus is kind of a right. hard one, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's let's do Genesis. 37 to 50, it's where we get the story of one of the, or the favorite son of Jacob. So we've been doing this podcast. Uh, I think it would be good for people to hear your take on not just Joseph, or not just Genesis 41, which is what we preached majority of on Sunday, but uh, overarching, because you have a unique perspective compared to John or Ryan, some of the other guys I've had on here. So yeah. let's talk about, um, and we talked about this some when we did Abraham together, mm-hmm. but this idea that Joseph being a type of Christ, because mm. that hasn't come up in any of my messages for the folks at Lexington. As I've listened to Ryan, that hasn't come up. Uh, yeah. Listening to Derek, that hasn't come up. Um, so that's a different perspective. So from most of our listeners are probably going to hear this for the first time. So okay. flesh out what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, the big overarching uh, story of Joseph's life, the themes are very similar to Christ and other characters in the Bible. So uh, the suffering servant, he's the chosen one. Um, we see that in his dreams. We see that in his in his preference by his father, mm-hmm. giving him the coat and sending him out there to check on the other brothers in chapter 37. So go ahead. I, I know it's clear in your mind. Yeah. But as you say those things, tell me how, t- tell us how and what you're, how you're comparing them to Jesus. Yeah. So I, I would start out like Joseph's the chosen one, but rejected by um, his people, God's people, the Israelites. Okay. And that's the story of every prophet they're, they're, they're chosen by God, and they're rejected by the people they were sent to save and help. Gotcha. And, and Jesus clearly And Jesus is clearly sent, like Moses, like the other prophets, sent to God's people, but rejected primarily, not by people outside the community of faith, but the people inside of the community of faith. So in that big, that big overarching theme is what Stephen points to in Acts 7, saying he's the chosen one who is rejected by God's people. In a very broad way, that's Christ. Yep. Um, well, Stephen is saying that's what Christ is in Acts 7. Right. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. The the other things that make him like a Christ figure wouldn't be like, well, they sold him for 20 shekels. And like, uh, you can go into these really narrow, um, uh, allegorical almost interpretations, but I would continue the broad thematic approach. So yep. the broad themes, he's, th- he is thrown into a pit. Mm-hmm. Then he rises to the right hand of power yep. in Potiphar's house. Then he's thrown into a prison down. He goes down 
and then he rises to the right hand of power in Pharaoh. Jesus is crucified on a cross, buried under the ground, and then he rises to the right hand of, of power in heaven. Yep. It's that same up and down movement that you find in the life of Christ is like the life of Joseph. Okay. Um, yeah, so when we when you think about it from a type, like that's a, a kind of a theological hermeneutical word where we talk about like Bible interpretation stuff. So right. this idea that uh, if it prefigures Jesus, it could prefigure Jesus. Um, there are a lot of people that, um, this is a very popular way to look at Joseph, to look at Abraham, to look at Moses, to mm-hmm. look at these guys and to say, um, look at the similarities, even mm-hmm. to the, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. So mm-hmm. Jesus was betrayed by Ju- Judas for 30 pieces. So mm-hmm. clearly looking at all of those similarities, uh, y- you may not feel comfortable kind of going down all of those, you know, yeah. each individual aspect, but you would say at a broader level, right. it, it would reflect. The same story of God's, yeah, of, of God's son. That's good. Um, primarily when people do that, we're trying to, we've talked about this some on the podcast before with you and others, the idea of trying to bring continuity between the Testaments. So we're trying to make sure that the New Testament and the Old Testament are congruent and there's a continuity between the two of them. The main reason is, is because it seems like salvation is different in the Old Testament. It seems like God is different in the Old Testament. It seems like the way God works and moves is different in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. And so this continuity piece is the idea of saying, no, 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 no. God's the same, and it, salvation is the same. It's still by faith. Um yeah. His work is the same. He's been doing that, and we can notice that through these big, broad themes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I would say the things that, that we think are discontinuous, like, you know, like God seems to be acting in history different, um, I, think we, I think those are overplayed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I'm one that thinks this uh, Bible, even though it, it's a mosaic of various parts— I think it's a beautiful unified mosaic, whereas some people look at it and just say it's a, a fuzzy, confused puzzle. Hmm. Um, That's good, yeah. I, I, I think we can sew that thing up, and I think it goes together, but I think the linchpin's Christ. Yeah, so when you think about it in terms of multiple, there are tons of ways to bring continuity to the Old and New Testament. And mm-hmm. so um, one of those ways is to to read Jesus into all of the the Old Testament um, Mm -hmm. and to look at it. And so uh, you would say um, verses like all of the prophets declare Jesus. Mm -hmm. So this this idea that we could go back and we can find Jesus in all of these um, in these Old Testament passages. Uh, that that's one way to do it. Others would do it um, with the use, like reform theology. People would really do it with covenants, mm-hmm. and they would use a covenant approach to do it. Uh, dispensational folks would use the different stewardships of time or dispensations to bring continu- continuity to it. So um, multiple ways. I think everybody struggles with it. I think every mm-hmm. system uh, has to come to this thing and figure out how do we do it. Um, and for 
for all of us, we would say the character of God has not changed. Right. Salvation. It's always been by faith. It's always been by faith. Um, right. And so anyway, it's just interesting to see the the different ways in which we approach this because it is a big issue. And, and, and we really want to make sure that it's clear. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, when you think about people who attack Christianity, the number one place that they go is not to the New Testament. It's to the Old Testament. Right. They go to those passages that they say, this is the God you worship? And they want to elevate what would seem to be a different God in the Old Testament. So that's yeah, the reason like, it's important for theologians. Yeah, like the wars and the bloodshed and yes. when, when making that stuff yeah. an argument for there being too much discontinuity between the Testaments. You know, in the, in the early church, there was, a, there was a, a teacher named Marcion who was convinced that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were two separate mm. deities. Yeah. And he actually took his Bible and he cut out the parts of the Bible, pretty much all of it, mm. that didn't line up with his interpretation. And that's what heretics do. That's right. Heretics, you you, you can tell a heretic by the, the, the knife. They mm. take a knife to Scripture and they cut out parts of it, mm. and they, or, they, or they distance themselves from parts of it. Yeah. And that's very common. But, you know, we've been debating this since, since Marcion, essentially. This, yeah. whole, this whole debate between the Old and the New Testament. We've been debating it, um, and when you think about just how tricky it is that the early church had to deal with this in some some very real ways. Mm. Um, Acts 15 is, I mean, they had to deal with, what are we going to do with, with people who are coming to know Christ who are not from a Jewish background, who right. are not ethnic Jews, and what are they going to do, and how does the law impact their life? What do they have to obey, not obey? Um, so they had to wrestle with this, and then mm. bring the council together to figure it out. Um, Paul nearly what, Galatians is nearly written to this entire uh, to address this entire issue mm-hmm. of, of what do we do with with the law and grace and freedom and how do we live in it? And so, yeah, really interesting to to think about. We've been dealing with this for two thousand years. Oh man. Um, what else as you think about it? I mean, I, I know when we sit around the table on Tuesday mornings and we, you know, we, we give our interpretations, we give our look at the text. Uh, what are some other ways that you would say, hey, I push back just a tad on these, um, on the way that uh, maybe I would interpret it? What are some, what are some other ways that you, you've done that? Well, you know, Russell's just subtly saying that he and I had an argument about how to interpret chapter 41. Well, I, w- I wasn't just going to go straight to 41, but I think, man, there's been probably several other places yeah. that we've we've disagreed on. Okay. Uh, I mean, so I just was like 37. The minute we started, we we didn't even get two minutes into the conversation before we started to dis- disagree about types yeah. and allegories. So that was one of many. Dis- yeah, my interpretation was, here's the chosen one rejected. Yes. And yeah. you're uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't think he's the chosen one. Yeah. yeah. You so, don't think he's the chosen one. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've, we've had some pushback there, and I'm trying to recall in my mind uh, the arguments that I was putting forth and what my— uh, what my toe line was for that, but you know, for for chapter forty one, it's a lot easier to remember. Um, you know, I say in this text 
this is Joseph being exalted. I'm not sure how you would say it, um, but maybe you would say, no, he hadn't been. Not so much. He's still a slave. Yep. Um, but I would make the case that he very much has been exalted. I would say he is successful. Yeah. Prosperous. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say those things. The word exalted makes me pause. So yeah. go ahead and you just you, you work through how you see exaltation in this passage. You've already explained it a little bit. Yeah. At the first, but go ahead. So um he Joseph is exalted in this passage to the right hand of power and he's exalted uh, in many ways, just like other characters in the Bible have been exalted. Um, when we were talking about the suffering of Joseph, um, we were talking about how God brings suffering into our life and how um, the prison, we all find ourselves in the prison or we all find ourselves in the pit. We all find ourselves in limits and um, being in uh, confinement. Um, but we get to the exaltation of Joseph, and for some reason, people are less willing to say that God exalts us just like he causes us to suffer. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Um, probably the number one pushback to that language, wrong or right, is the prosperity message today. Yeah. So what happens is, and I think this is a, I think you have a strong argument here. Um, that just because someone is abusing the blessing language mm-hmm. of Scripture, and so when we talk about prosperity, we're talking about guys that say, you should be wealthy, you should be successful, you should have all of these things. No, you know, you, suffering or, or sickness is a lack of faith. Yeah. And, and so because of this, if you'll have faith and send in your seed gift of $100, God's going to, Bless that a hundredfold in the year of Jubilee or whatever. Yeah. We've all heard that language. Right. And so as a result, seeing how that clearly is not the emphasis of Scripture, or at least not the emphasis that they're putting on it, mm-hmm. what it does is when somebody starts using the word exalted, mm-hmm. um, it then creates in us... Um, especially those of us who are really sensitive to it. Mm. Um, I, I mentioned Derek Lifridge. He's at White Knoll. He grew up listening to the prosperity gospel. Right. So when he hears it, that, you know, his spidey sense goes off. Yeah. He's like, ooh, I want to be really careful. But just because of that, it doesn't mean we want to swing the pendulum so far the other way that we neglect that God blesses. Yeah. Does that make sense? I would agree. And I, I would say that, like— you don't get blessed unless God blessed you and um, or at least allowed you to be blessed. Um, you don't get – I view this less about riches and more about in terms of authority too. Um, Joseph was not – he was given riches, but he was given position and power uh, to use for God's glory. God wanted to raise him up in a position of power. Now, that can also be a prosperity message. Like, I am saying that God does exalt people today. Um, but, and I would say that everybody has been exalted. The teenager who has a couple of dollars in their pocket, got a little job, got a car, got some keys, gonna run around, got some freedom, they have some authority. 
Who gave them that authority? Like all authority ultimately comes from God and God has exalted everybody to some degree. Um, you, why are people under you and people over you? Why do you find yourself in a, in a hierarchical, in a hierarchy in this world? Um, how do you explain that? The scriptures say that God is the one that brings down and brings up. God is the one that humbles and exalts. Hmm. It says that over and over again. And the reason I use the word exalt is, and I know that it's a touchy word for the prosperity people because they, they'll, they'll use that word. I use it because it's a, it's a biblical word. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds almost a little archaic, like exalt. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, you know, like I'm speaking King James English, but I looked in the NLT, which is a very contemporary English version, and it uses the same one because yeah. there's really not a better word unless you want to use a sentence, like, yeah. or two words or three words, lifting up. Yeah. You know? So I, 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 uh, I really see here that this, in this story, and then when you compare it to multiple stories, the theme that God exalts people. He doesn't just drop drop us down in prison, which the prosperity people wouldn't want to say. No. They wouldn't want to say that God causes you to suffer. Yeah. And ha- have they ever looked at the cross? Yeah. Like he, God clearly calls his son to suffer. Yeah. And so if he's going to cause his son to suffer, <laughs> yeah. he's probably going to cause you to suffer too. That's right. And so my same logic here, if he, if he exalts Joseph, if he exalts Moses, if he exalts Daniel, if he exalts Mary, if he exalts all these different people— um, then he exalts us. This is the story of the gospel. We were all in the pit of sin. Yep. The prodigal son found, found himself literally in a hog pit, and he came to his senses. He repented, He, he and he ran to the Father. Humbled himself. And what did his Father do? He exalted him. Yep. And that's what God does. He takes us from down here and in sin and, you know, and exalts us up and, and carries us to somewhere new. And that happens in, the, in we'll call it in the realm of the, the physical realm of just normal life, your job that you have, and also in the spiritual realm of like sin and salvation. Like I see it all over the Bible. Yeah, so we would the 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 main place that I would divert from you in that is the the idea that it is physical every time. Mm-hmm. So exaltation for me of um, throwing a, a to use the prodigal son beautiful picture. Uh, Jesus is using that in Luke fifteen with two other parables. They're clearly salvation oriented, mm-hmm. and so as a result, this this new life mm-hmm. that is he is making a picture of right and and the coin and um the lost sheep it's the the idea that we're going after that 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 what is gone what's missing and here in the prodigal son this humbling of himself goes back to the father and the father embraces him um i would i would not read that as physical, worldly exaltation that will all receive that in some way, shape, or form on this side of eternity, as much as I would say, yes, I agree that the exaltation is spiritual in nature. Mm. Uh, When Jesus would say to the disciples, um, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Um, a lot of times Jesus is using that, not talking about blessings in this lifetime, but in the one to come. And mm. So that's where I would divert because I, I, I struggle with the, the... the You struggle with the eschatology of present... Pre- present blessings and, and pre- present exaltation. Yeah, I don't. I don't struggle with blessing. I, I know that um, everything I have is a grace of God. Yeah, everything I have is a grace of God. 
um, from the breath that I breathe to whatever's in my bank account is 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 given um, graciously by God. And so, would you say your position of authority? Yeah. And so the the deal for me is this is where we begin to split hairs on determinism. So yeah. back to that that old argument where you use the word God caused His suffering, and so He caused His exaltation. And I would really I struggle with that language to say God has caused your suffering. Mm. And so, therefore, God has caused your exaltation. Um, that's a that's a, that's a difficult one for me uh, to to see. That man, does that mean every time I've suffered, that has been determined by God? Mm. That um, um, and, and especially when you look at the life of Joseph, his suffering um, was at the hands of his brothers that wanted to murder him, and. By, based on the favoritism of Jacob, and did God cause that? Um, then that would mean God is at the end causing sin, so that Joseph could would suffer. Mm-hmm. And I don't think God causes sin. Um, I do believe God can use. Um, I, I think He can use things, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think He causes sin. Um, and I do believe God intervenes. There are times where He He definitely intervenes in the world um, to do things, to get our attention. Um, I I believe that uh, he clearly caused a whale to swallow Jonah. He did not cause Jonah to run and go to Tarshish rather than Nineveh. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so you see God causing some things and not others. well, uh, Well, for you it would be he causes everything. There's nothing. Well, if you believe that he sustains the creation, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 we confess even creedally, like ancient confessions, we believe God is creator and sustainer. Sure. When you say he's sustainer, ultimately you can say he allowed it or you can say what you want, but nothing can actually turn unless he allows it to turn or he causes it to turn rather. Because someone has to push Someone has to be pushing this universe for it to keep moving. Everything's moving. Everything's turning. Everything in the the planets and even us, we're decaying. And there's just things are just changing and moving and all that. Who's pushing all that? Yeah, I believe it is a divine decree. The question is, what's the decree? Is the decree that everything is sustained by God because he pushes every lever? Or is it the divine decree that man has libertarian free will, and so therefore... Some things are ultimately caused by man only. Because he is divinely decreed for man to have free will to do that. And so the divine decree doesn't change. The question is, what is the divine decree? I have no problem saying that God is in control. I have no problem saying God has a divine decree. My deal is, is what has he decreed? And if he's decreed everything, he's turning everything turning every knob, pulling every lever. Um, that, that leads us down some, some pretty interesting roads with how do we deal with evil and sin. And so now all of a sudden it's not an issue of allowing or causing. I mean, you, you now have a, he's now redeeming his own determinations. Well, wouldn't you have this problem even if you believe that some things were caused by people that weren't caused by God because he gave us libertarian free will? Wouldn't you still have the problem of how the world can be so chaotic and destructive. And so 
if God causes everything but the free will of individual people, well, there's lots of things outside of the free will of, of individual people that's going down. That's right. So that's problematic too. I guess you would just say it's because of our sin. I would fall. say, yeah, First John, lust of the world, lust of the flesh, pride of life are all things of the world. And when you look at the world, the spirit hovered over it. It was tohu vohu. You know, it was in chaos, and it needed to be brought into order. And so, um, and clearly, all of this was when you think about um, Satan falling from heaven. Was that divine decree, or was that Satan mm-hmm. choosing to do that, and then therefore brought to a planet to have uh, cast out of heaven and given an authority over this place? And so, therefore, there's a you know, there's a there's this world that we have to battle against. Well, let me bring it back to Joseph. Yep. Um, this is what I know about the story. A lot of bad stuff happened. Yes. And, and Joseph says what I think are from the Holy Spirit words. He says, you meant it for evil. Yep. But God meant it for good. Yes. And so right there's our debate. Yeah. And what we find is that a person can mean something, but God's will actually is supreme over free will. And in that case, he can mean for something completely different than what you're meaning it to do, but he's using your free will to get it done. Yes, I think that happens all the time in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I think there are ways that when when you think about God using someone's evil intent to bring about his glory, yeah, um, I think there are plenty of places in Scripture that that happens. My, I, I have no issue with that. My question is, is did God cause the evil for that? Did, is God causing that person to do evil? So what you just explained of, you meant it for evil. But God is able to use this for good. I have no problem with that language. Matter hmm. of fact, I, 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 it's exactly what I, I see God is able to do. The issue is, is did God cause all of the evil? Did he, is in, in language of sustaining, so did he cause the brothers to hate him? Did he cause the brothers to sell him? Did he cause Potiphar's wife to lie about him? Did he, did he cause the cupbearer to forget about him? If he causes all of that, then what happens is, is God is setting fire to the house and then going home and grabbing a water hose mm-hmm. and putting the fire out and saying, give glory to me. And it's like, well, that's a little weird because he just set the fire and now he's redeeming his own determinations. That's the part where I would say maybe uh, it would be different than that. And maybe the fire has been set by our sinful free will choices and God is redeeming our sinful free will choices. Yeah. um, Well said, Russell. What would you do with the cross? Did God cause that to happen? Yeah. So again, when you, especially when you read the uh, Acts 2, and yeah. it clearly was determined. Right. Uh, clearly there was this determined event of the crucifixion of Jesus, which if that's the case, then that is a sinful act of murder. And how in the world would God determine that? Yeah. Does that make sense? So I I would still be in my the same position of, of how do we do this? So we know the sacrifice is going to be made. We know that has been determined to do. 
um, because God uses the evil intentions of people, um, that doesn't mean that he has, that doesn't mean that he is a co-conspirator mm-hmm. in that. So um, maybe a, a helpful illustration would be along the lines of uh, when the police officers set up a sting, a drug sting, um, we've seen stings, the, these uh, operations oftentimes on TV, where what would happen is, is you take a drug seller, somebody who's selling drugs, that's what they've chosen to do, that's who they are, and we want to um, catch other criminals in the process. And so the police, the good guys, set up a sting operation to use the bad things that are already happening in order because they're going to sell drugs. They just set up a deal to listen to it and to tap into it and to catch the people they're selling drugs to. Mm -hmm. So they've set up this already to do it. That doesn't make the police bad because the guys were already going to do this anyway. Mm -hmm. Now we're just using it for a purpose to get criminals off the street. Yeah. And the same thing I would say very similarly would happen with Jesus Christ. Um, The Pharisees were going to hate him anyway. Clearly, they've been hating the prophets all along. And so as a result, there would be this use of the Pharisees and the people that didn't want to embrace Jesus as the Messiah in order to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He doesn't cause them to do that. They've already decided to do that. He just sets it up in a place to to make that happen. The word meant, though... Is, yeah. is causal. It is causal. And so for me... God again, meant for it to happen, for the cross to happen, for the Joseph story to happen. God yeah. meant for it to happen. So I I, um, I think ultimately, for me, it's like a both and, and it's a mystery. Yep. And I think I would say... A con- and so I would conclude with a, like a Confucius-type statement. I would say, ultimately, God causes through our free will. Yep. Some people would say that. I'm still not comfortable with it. I would, um, because at that point, I'm just a robot, and now he's causing No, me. you got free will. Yeah, it's an illusion if he's causing it. No, you have, you have, you have, ultimately, you're accountable for your free actions, even while God may have meant for you to do something. Yeah, and so that puts God on the hook for, if he meant for me to do it, then he puts me on the hook for my sin and my sinful choices. I don't put God on the hook for that. Let me bring it back to the exaltation. Yeah. So... Exaltation. You would not have any authority over me had it not been given to you from above. Jesus tells that to Pilate. Yeah, he and tells the, it to Pilate. And okay, and then in Romans thirteen one it says all authority has been instituted by God. And, and I have no issue with that. Okay, so I'm just trying to make one point. I'm not trying to solve all the free will determinism arguments. I'm yeah. just trying to say if you find yourself in position of power, yeah. you have been exalted. You are in authority because God determined it. So if and so, what you're saying is everybody's got some level of authority, and so therefore everybody's been exalted. Yeah, and that would be all seven and a half billion of us on the planet. Yeah. And I would say that's that's not exaltation. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When Some talking more about. than others. If yeah. anybody's alive, they've been exalted. I would I would agree, but I think the, you're brought from nothingness into existence. God has exalted you. I would agree. I would say that's not the spiritual exaltation Jesus is talking about when he says, "Humble yourselves, and you'll be exalted." Or the exalt if you exalt yourself, you'll be humble. Or when James says, um, "The humble will be exalted." 
I think that's a very different thing. So what you've said is everybody has authority in some way, shape, or form, which is great. Seven and a half billion people on the planet have some sort of exaltation. That doesn't mean seven and a half billion people are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's not the exaltation Jesus is talking about in Luke and in James. And so as a result, you're right from that standpoint. I think exaltation has a spiritual standpoint that is very different than that. And that's the part where... Um, God's the author of both. He is the author, author of both, but just because he's the author of both doesn't mean he's talking about them in the same way both times. So exalt, again, when Jesus says, um, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled, and if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted, mm-hmm. then you're telling me all seven and a half billion people on the planet have humbled themselves because they're exalted? So I think, there's, I think there's ways to look at that. And so what you're talking about is a principle that is very true. All authority has been given to us. Everything we have has been given to us. I agree with that. Um, But maybe that's not the, maybe that's not the full weight of what exaltation is being said of in the New Testament. Well, no, I I said it. It applies to the gospel. It applies to, it's a theme that applies to the gospel. When Jesus says, humble yourself and you will be exalted, he's not trying to split hairs between spiritual and physical. Ultimately, when kingdom comes, you will be exalted if you're poor. If you're if poor you in spirit. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's saying this whole thing's going to be flipped. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that, but that's not what you're saying. You're saying everybody's been exalted on this on this earth. In some degree, to some degree, everybody who's alive has been exalted. Yeah. Uh, but... I, I would say everybody on this earth has some some benefits of common grace and that that that's what that is to me that's 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 I, I just would hold that exalted word for to mean other things you want it to mean just salvation i don't want it to just mean salvation i do think it has a lot to do with that because i think that's what when the prodigal son humbled himself and was exalted that is a salvific parable that's why i brought it up it's salvific yeah but, but you're using it now when you say all seven and a half billion people have been exalted well they're not all saved so exalted means something different for the person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ than it does for the common grace of people who have two bucks in their pocket and car keys. That's not exaltation to me. That is common grace and blessing, and it should be a universal witness that there's a God who loves and, and has made you and given you a purpose. That's what that is to me. That's not exaltation. Exaltation um, is, is different. It must and be spiritual for you. It, it is spiritual. I do think it it could have some physical pieces to it. How many how many guys are have give glory to God like coaches, lawyers, doctors, and like if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, and I think you can. I think you <clears throat> they've can, been exalted. You can truly appreciate that from a from salvation standpoint, but I, but to look at the the person who is the manager at at McDonald's who doesn't know Jesus and is practicing, you know, saying God has blessed you. God has lifted you up. God has you in authority for a reason. He wants you to use your authority well and lead well. Yeah. And I would say what you just, the, the authority piece of it is one thing. He's exalted you is, is I, I, I would if you have authority, it means you've been lifted up. That, lift, that's what it means to have authority. Yeah, so if you want to just go based off of the etymology of the word, if you just want to say, well, it means lifted up. So you've been lifted up. Yes, but that's not the way Jesus is using it. I don't think in, in the Luke, passage. And I don't think that's the way James is using it. Just say, if you've been lifted up, see, you've been lifted up. 
I think he's talking about something different there. I think it has more depth and meaning than just everybody's got it. So to one degree, I would agree with you. Um, I just would hold the exalted word for um, for other things rather than just everybody. So when I look at Genesis 41, if you're looking at it purely from has he been given authority, has he been lifted up, then yes, he has been exalted. Um, if I am looking at this from a spiritual standpoint, if I'm looking at it from that, then I would sit back and say, um, I don't think it fits the James 4.10 or what Jesus says when he says humble himself or the prodigal son for that matter. I think this is a this is a true authority lifted up, exalted in a very physical, worldly definition, but not from the from the spiritual side of it. And that's just that's just where we're gonna disagree on it. And I mean it is what it is. So it's been good to for people to hear it and yeah. to see it differently. Because they didn't hear any of that from me on Sunday. I just talked about success and how Joseph clearly has been given success and how he handles it. Yeah. And, and how is he going to handle it? Um, and then what is he going to do in the next chapter as this success, or not next chapter, but the next part of 41, how is he going to continue to handle it? When he, yeah, being He's, in the world and not of it. Be, yeah, being in the world and, and, and how is he going to keep his focus on God? So, um, yeah, so fun stuff, no doubt. I would say your, your question about him meaning it, even if I were to completely say, Ross, I'm going to give you that God meant for this all to happen to Joseph, and he meant for everything causal to happen to Jesus. Um, if I gave you all of that language, I would still say just because God does it to certain people and certain events in Scripture doesn't mean he does it all of the time with everyone. Just because he supernaturally intervenes in a moment doesn't mean that that is the way he does it with every situation. So I would, that's the reason why I would say. But I, there is no situation which he did not create and sustain. Yeah, so again, you're, you're getting to the, that's the, that's the dilemma of sin. Nothing can be moving unless God pushed it. And I would just say, how does he choose to push it? How, what's not, his divine decree to push it? And I would say free will instead of... We have nothing to do with the way the world turns. You're right. He set it in motion. He And he sustains it. He does sustain it. I, I, I don't... So I'm, that means he's continuing to push it. Yeah. We might have to cut. All, we might have to cut some of this out, Russell. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. But I, I, I grant. I, I'm. I don't disagree with what you're saying. It's just how does he push it? So you're saying he pushes it by pushing every lever. I'm saying he pushes it by putting laws and and physics and everything into place to make this happen, which is yes, yeah, very different. Yeah, who, and who makes the laws happen? I okay. think God makes them happen. Okay, so yeah. therefore he's pushing everything. Yeah. It's interesting to think through. Yeah. But you would, we would all say that there are basic principles in life, sowing and reaping, what comes up must come down, all of those things. And God and, makes those things happen. And I would say, I don't think he has to make them happen. He has made them happen. He's made them happen. And so that's, those are principles that are at work. And so that's where I would differ, where you would say. There's nothing that can happen unless God, unless God pushes it. That's good. So next time you sin, you can look up and say, you push yeah, me. We can talk about evil, maybe another podcast. Yeah, it's interesting to think about if he's pushing everything. Yeah. 
Cool. Ross, it's been fun, man. I agree, Russell. It has been very fun. <laughs> you were a little slow on that. You're a little slow on oh, that. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. All right. Well, I hope we didn't bust your brains too much. Um, and uh, we'll we'll uh, get back into the tail end of it next week of Chapter 41 and maybe uh, bring it back down to some more um, base conversation. We'll see. <laughs> Ross, thanks, dude. Happy You're birthday. Welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you.